Welcome to the Physician Wealth Med Podcast. It's wealth medicine for doctors. If you're a doctor and you have no time, it looks like you found us just in time. This podcast is for all doctors who would like to work on their personal wealth, but do not have traditional hours to do so because they have no time. We're here to jump into topics that will help you address your wealth, both inside and outside of your practice, so that you can live the life of significance you're dreaming of. You'll hear from your peers, you'll hear from industry professionals, and your host and wealth advisor, me, Kevin Sullivan. This is your time. Now let's get started with today's podcast. Welcome again to the Physician Wealth Med Podcast, and we like to say that it's wealth medicine for doctors. I'm your host and wealth advisor, Kevin Sullivan, and for those who don't know me, I've been in the industry, in the financial industry, as a wealth advisor since 1989, and I have active clients in 14 states. I'm the author of the book, Managing Income and Retirement, Planning with Purpose, which makes me, I guess, a financial writer and also the host of this podcast. I've enjoyed every minute of helping clients move towards the life of significance that they've always wanted through the wealth management and the strategies that we provide. But this podcast is designed to bring educational content to you as a doctor. So there's no recommendations that we make on the show, but we saw a need to provide doctors with sound financial content that they can access on their own time to fit their busy schedules. So however, if you do live in one of the 14 states that we're in, we can address your needs and concerns privately. So just reach out to us and we'll let you know what we can do for you on that regard. We wanna make sure that you use us and see us as your top financial resource that we can help you too. So it's not just about listening to the podcast, but also being able to help you moving forward, possibly too, if you live in one of those 14 states that we're licensed in. And Steve knows what I'm talking about as far as licensing goes. But today we have a very special guest with us, Steve. He's a mortgage lender that is gonna share some great information about lending and some of the areas for you to look at when you are trying to obtain a mortgage or a second mortgage. There's always some kind of pitfall or something that you have to navigate where it's a lending process and sometimes it takes on a life of its own. So Steve is here to provide us some helpful insights regarding that. I'll give you a little bio of Steve. He's been a loan officer with Rocket mortgage, formerly Quicken Loans, for the past 12 years. And over his career, he's worked um, on specialty teams for both high net worth and self-employed clients. Most notably, about eight years ago, he was one of the solution consultants where he would be assigned loans as a loan officer to help troubleshoot some of the most complex and challenging cases. And listen to this. He's assisted people with over 10,000 closings. Now, that's a huge number from my perspective, but if you've done it 10,000 times, I'm pretty sure that makes you pretty good at what you do. On a personal note, he also graduated from Roanoke College with a BBA degree with a concentration in finance. So let's welcome Steve and let's get right to it. All right, thanks, Kevin. Well, um, a little bit more about me is obviously the experience of history of being a mortgage professional here with Rocket Mortgage. And again, as far as that history over 12 years as a loan officer, seeing everything under the sun and that experience as a solution consultant, I'd be reviewing anywhere between 200 to 300 loans any given month. That was what helped me kind of build into all of those closings because I'd be taking over in those situations 
and overseeing the entire process from a processing underwriting all the way through closing. That's excellent. I mean, that's a lot of, that's a lot of work. Right. I appreciate yeah. you sharing that with us here too. So you've got many years of experience in the lending. And just before we get a little too far in this, I, I was just talking to you before we started recording about home lenders are hunting for ways to make a 6% mortgage a little bit more attractive to people to get them to do what they need to do. It seems like maybe some of the prices are coming down, but the rates are a little higher. And I saw a phrase that maybe it's just me, but I've never heard this before, but it says, marry the house and date the rate. So I thought that was kind of intriguing that we can talk about here today and how some lenders are, are offering things to get people to move ahead and proceed even with the, the higher rates, which is kind of interesting. But you had told us about know your banker. That was one of the things we talked about before too. And I thought maybe you could expand on that and maybe pick up on the marry the house date the rate somewhere in your talk as we move forward. For sure, for sure. Yeah. So there, there's certain things that you just always want to know as you're going into working with any mortgage professional. Know your banker or know your loan officer. That has to do more so with the experience of that loan officer. If you imagine a well, a well-tuned machine of loan originating, you're closing maybe somewhere five to 15 transactions when you're just starting off in your first few years. That's a closing model as far as you being a loan officer. Until you get into five years, 10 years plus, you really haven't seen enough in that space to really know and be able to be considered an expert because there are always one-off scenarios. You're not always gonna be closing clients who are self-employed or clients that have multiple jobs or unique types of income. So until you can kind of hit that closer to 10 years plus, that's when you can really say, I'm an ex experienced, I'm an expert in my field. As far as what you were telling me or mentioning before, the date, the rate, marry the home, the home is gonna be what's gonna be there for the entire time. Interest mm -hmm. rates change, they shift up and down. Right now over the last year, and probably basically the last year, the most volatile market that we've seen. Just in the last month or so, we've seen interest rates as low as 5.99 going up and starting to press back into some of the higher 6% depending on the loan program. And there's always continuously new things coming out that impact a client's rates, such as Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac adjusting what's called their loan level pricing adjustments. So for example, when you hear somebody with a poor credit score or less down payment might get a less favorable interest rate. They're making changes to that. And sometimes even FHA loans adjusting their mortgage insurance premium. So it, when it comes to dating the rate, you have to understand you might only be in a mortgage for maybe six months, a year, and then all of a sudden it makes sense for you to then look into refinancing to get into that lower rate and making sure that you're using the mortgage as a tool to pay off the debt as fast as possible. Because there are situations where when interest rates fall, you can start to trim the term off the life of the loan, going from a 30-year into a 25-year or 15-year, whatever that might be, and really using the equity of your house as a part of your wealth versus in the situation where if you're just paying rent for a while, you're just throwing money away. So even with a higher interest rate, you still want to be able to get into that house that you, again, want to marry. Yeah, and begin getting that equity going towards your favor. <clears throat> Is it still... A common practice if the rates fall 2%, that's the magic time, or is that still something that's 
It really just depends on the situation. I mean, uh, 1% on a $500,000 loan is a way bigger difference when, mm. when it comes to monthly payment than if you're talking about a $150,000 loan. So it really just depends on that situation. And then also using that interest rate sometimes to consolidate debt. This is something I've been telling a lot of clients actually, is if you look at the grand scheme of interest rates over say like a 30 year period, yeah. Yes, they fell down to like 2% in the last 10 years, but in the last 30 years, they've been in the high teens. So just because we're at 6%, which is four points above what we've been coddled with over the last decade, doesn't mean that's a bad interest rate. It just means that, hey, it's a little bit higher and there is going to be pressure based off of what's going on in the economy, typically to see interest rates hopefully fall back into a nicer norm of like a four or 5%. But Again, going back into the experience, having somebody that knows product knowledge, um, somebody that knows the differences between, okay, do you want to pay a private mortgage insurance and what type of programs are going to give you the best there versus paying principal and interest and figuring out what else you can do with your funds. There's the common misconception when you're buying a house that 20% down, you need to do it. But at the same time, if you could use that other, say 10%, to put towards a different investment or pay off high interest debt that you already have, you could look at having a much stronger monthly debt to income ratio. If you're having somebody who knows the programs, knows which way to actually go. Cause I can actually, when I'm talking to a client after checking their credit, looking at their income before even pricing out or seeing what interest rate and cost is know what type of program I'm already going to probably be looking into based off of just those few factors to make sure that they're going into the best position. Another thing that comes with, um, experience is a lot of times when you're with a company for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years, you're going to have more rapport with leadership to be able to maybe price out loans and have more leverage when it comes to the rate and cost combinations that you give a client, just like mm. very similar to maybe working with a top salesman at a, a car dealership type of thing. And then also again, with product knowledge, knowing when to pay points and then knowing how to leverage, whether you pay points and offset it with a lender paid credit to benefit you a little bit more come, come tax time. Yeah. So if you can buy down your points by the amount of money that mm -hmm. you put down, uh, versus maybe paying off other credit. Mm -hmm. So to speak, you know, if your credit's way up there and you're paying higher credit <laughs> interest rates, right? It may make right. more sense to, to knock that down versus points, I guess is what you're saying. Well, right. Again, if you're working with an educated loan officer and the way that you can move money from one thing to another, mm -hmm. you could say, okay, well, I'm going to give you this rate with zero points, but they could be actually removing what they could be charging and instead charge the points offset it with a lender paid credit. So that way, when you get your 1098 at the end of the year, um, for that first origination on a primary residence, sometimes that can help you out from a tax tax purpose and a benefit there. Right. No, that's excellent. Well, if we move on to pricing, uh, tell us what you mean when you say more experience comes with more leverage. Right. Having experience, you're going to have more leverage with a knowing the programs and products that are going to be better mm -hmm. for you but also being able to, again, be able to know, okay, well, I can take this loan and be a little bit more beneficial there 
because I'm enrolling more clients in general. Yeah. So when you were talking about like physician loans, where would that fit into what we were just talking about? Right. So physician loans are fantastic, especially for new doctors, folks who are just leaving the residencies because they don't have much saved up. They're walking into a job that's high pay, but they might not have had the time to set aside 10%, 5%, 20%, whatever it may be for your standard conventional loan. So that's when a physician loan is fantastic because they don't have a lot of capital to put towards a down payment. So they're allowed to do typically 100% financing. Uh, that option typically has no mortgage insurance. Um, but usually when you're seeing those, most lenders do have an option, whether it's technically a physician loan or whether it be what's called lender paid mortgage insurance, where you don't have a monthly mortgage insurance, you just have a one-time upfront and discount points, which again, sometimes becomes tax deductible mm -hmm. that following year after you, you buy the property. So looking at that and just having the mindset of, okay, I want to do a physician loan. I'm a physician. I want to do that. If you have the ability to put money down, if you have that capital and you want that equity in your house or lower monthly mortgage payment, sometimes thinking outside the box of a physician loan is a better way to go just because again, you might get a better program because usually with those no PMI options, you're going to be offset with a higher interest rate. I know I'm not a physician. My first mortgage, I did not have mortgage insurance. And I put a minimum 5% down on the house and I offset it by having a slightly higher interest rate, which in a lot of times those physician loans use that same time type of mechanism. However, it has the 100% financing without yeah. most other clients would not have the option of having that outside of typical, whether you do USDA loans or a VA loan as a veteran, uh, those are other hundred percent financing type of options. That's excellent because at least they could get the house they're looking for. And like you said, maybe later on refinance as they get yeah. a little bit more financially solvent moving forward. I know that's a, a thing that's on a lot of physicians' minds. It's like, where do I stand compared to my peer group? Cause we're all getting out of med school late, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? starting our life a little later than the normal. Uh, so it really helps to have these programs available. Kind of right. brings us to the next piece about know your situation. And it's very important to know that. And you brought up some great points in our prior conversation when we were talking about being self-employed or employed or thinking that you're self-employed because it's kind of a quasi-employment scenario. And, and let's talk a little bit about that. Right, right. And that's a great thing to bring up, Kevin. The number one weirdest conversation that you'll have as a, as a mortgage professional is the conversation where a client owns their business. They pay themselves with a W-2, but they don't consider themselves self. If you have ownership interest, majority of the business, you are considered self-employed. So you want to know what type of information you need to keep an eye on because mm -hmm. that self-employed piece of it, the fact that you own the, own the business actually plays into what you truly qualify for. You could say, yes, I'm employed, but if you're employing yourself and you tell your mortgage banker, I get a W-2, it's a $200,000 W-2, you could be missing the boat because the business could have a profit or they could have mm -hmm. a loss. And the business could also have a loss because of something that a mortgage professional can add back into the income, such as like a depreciation, which is a paper loss that we're able to move the needle with and put you into possibly better programs so knowing your situation, knowing whether or not you are considered self-employed, which 
in the mortgage world, if you own 25% or less is when you're not considered self-employed and we can just use a W-2 mm -hmm. uh, in order to qualify. It's anything above that benchmark is when we're going to be needing that, those additional documents, uh, such as business returns and then going into the different types of returns that you might need. But if you have a partnership, they're called 1065s. But if you pay yourself with a K-1, that's when you want to make sure whether or not you're going to be considered mm -hmm. um, a self-aid individual. As corporations, again, you receive a K-1, also have W-2s. And then there's the corporation where if, even if it's a corporation, which means that you don't get a 10 or a K-1 and you just get a W-2, you still have a part of whatever that income or losses from the corporation if you're a 100% owner. It's always good to know those pieces and what plays into the income. Yeah. You've also said that what's good for taxes is not always good for your mortgage. And that's so true because what we try to do on our taxes to try to lower them at times, it doesn't always mean it's a good thing for qualifying for a mortgage. Right, right. So it's a known rule of thumb that, you know, there's a lot of things that self-employed individuals can do when it comes to tax returns that a W-2 employee can't do. So there are deductions that you can take and looking into ways of um, lowering your tax bracket, but then that then could turn around and there might be deductions that you may not have taken where you're looking at the scenario of, obviously everything is within the tax code, but showing less income sometimes is not always going to be good for your mortgage. And there's always that back and forth as you're going into tax season and knowing your goals, whether it is to buy a house um, or not. So it, that is the rule of thumb of most mortgage professionals when you're talking to self-employed individuals is, again, what you're doing on your tax returns, we need to be able to see what Uncle Sam shows as your net income versus what a lot of times folks feel is their income with their gross, which is what they're bringing in. But sometimes again, they get it right off their cars. They get it right off things that are everyday expenses for them that they don't realize that that is then reducing the amount of income that a mortgage professional might be able to use in order to help them qualify. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. And then you have a point about assets do help mm -hmm. about property inspection waivers and things like that. Maybe yep. talk about that. Yep. So as far as when you're in a loan application conversation, a lot of times, and again, it kind of goes back to knowing your banker. There's always this conception that you should hold your cards close to your chest when you're talking to a mortgage professional. You give your full profile. So having a strong asset profile might get you qualified where some other folks who don't have that might not get qualified. Also could strengthen the profile for us to be able to waive things. The improperty inspection waiver is a technical term for when a, a lender is being given permission to waive the requirement of needing an appraisal on property because somebody's already putting X amount down. They already have 50% equity in their house and there's enough data mm. out there to show, okay, this area is stable. They're in a stable market based off of other appraisals that's been, that have been done in the area. And this client has 24 months worth of this mortgage payment set it aside in their bank accounts. We're okay with not getting an appraisal. We know that we're either just A, reducing the interest rate or B, again, we're, we're comfortable with that stable market based off that additional profile 
which sometimes folks just keep close to the chest and it takes a little while to to get out as far as, okay, yeah, you have a hundred, five hundred thousand dollars in a four or one K that is viewed as strength when it comes to other factors that could help save a client money. Cause you think if you're not needing an appraisal, you're saving sometimes $750, $1,000, depending on the size of the house paid to an appraiser that you don't need to. So having that open and honest conversation with your mortgage professional, especially when it comes to, again, going back to previous bullet points, knowing your banker, knowing that you can be forthcoming and honest. And there have been changes. And since I started, it's never going to benefit me not to give a client the best thing that I can actually provide. We want to originate the loan. We don't get paid by the interest rate. If we service the loan, there's a servicing fee that goes into us actually handling the servicing. For my purpose, it is more so what are your goals? What do you want your monthly payment to be? What are you comfortable with having your cash to close? And what angles can I use? What type of programs and products to meet those goals? And then talking about that, again, you're going to date this mortgage. You're going to have a situation sometime in the future whether A, you're just staying in the property for a short period of time. And so you, you don't need to actually have a low interest rate because you're never going to benefit from the lower interest rate. Again, you're not going to be in this loan for a long period of time because you are open to refinancing. Right. And whether it be taking equity out of the house, whether it be the home value appreciating, um, all of those little pieces, having a lender that knows how to move. There's an analogy that I like to use um, with clients. A mortgage application is a lot like a jigsaw puzzle and you want to have all of the puzzle pieces on the table. So that way you mm -hmm. know how the picture needs to come together that you right. want to make. Otherwise you're just sticking a bunch of pieces where they don't belong and you're never going to get to the best program for a client without having that, again, everything in front of you, whether it be credit, whether it be all the types of income that you receive, whether it be assets all of those little pieces to the puzzle that are going to make up the best program for said client. That's it. And that's an incredibly important point that you made about the transparency of, of things, you know, cause you can only do what you can do with the information that you've been given kind of like in our line of work, you know, the better picture we have of someone's financial standing, the better we can advise and same thing with you in, in the mortgage lending space. So very, very well taken. I know you said it's true that doctors need to know their goals. So let's talk about this next piece about the forever home versus a stepping stone home. Right. So um, I have some friends that are, have been um, either ER doctors um, or just physicians in general. And a part of the medical field is sometimes going from one health system to the next. So understanding the, whether or not, hey, this is a home that I'm going to stay in forever. This is the position I love. This is the city that I love. I'm not going anywhere versus knowing, okay, I'm only going to be in this property, maybe three years. Then that knowing that going into things and being forthcoming with it versus just saying, I want your best rate on a 30 year fixed. Give me your best rate on a 30 year fixed. The mm -hmm. best rate, you might have a better rate than what you think is the lowest rate. So it's funny when I actually am able to get programs in front of me in a client situation where they say, yeah, I got this position. It's my fellowship or whatever it may be in order to get me into the next place. Um, whether it be a physician or not physician, sometimes taking the highest rate 
is the best option because that means that I get to use lender paid credits to cover yeah. other closing costs. And then it becomes a simple break even point. It's okay, it's gonna take you 36 months for option A with the lower interest rate to actually make sense based off the total yeah. amount of funds that I'm saving you with option B that has a higher interest rate. So it, yeah. it, it's knowing those type of goals and knowing whether or not also this is something that you're buying the property for shelter and it's better to buy a house versus a rent a house because you get to build up the equity, you get to have the benefits of writing certain things off of taxes and all that. And also you have people that are looking to build a portfolio. So again, whether it be a forever home stepping stone where you're really truly starting to invest into real estate where you say, okay, I'm gonna buy this house. And so knowing if you're gonna be buying a property and holding on to it because you're building your portfolio of, again, wealth, um, or if it's something where, hey, I'm here just for a short period of time, I'm then going to sell this, maybe make a profit based off of either paying it down or the property appreciating, but I am gonna eventually move back home to Seattle or to Austin, mm -hmm. Texas or something on those lines. Gotcha. Well, we've been talking to Steve Furtock all the way from Detroit, Michigan. So this is great. I, I'm so happy that you joined us today. Give us your contact information and how people could get a hold of you. Yep. So you can always reach me either on my work line, which is 313-373-1410 or my cell. Always reach me directly 248-229-7139. Email is super easy. It's my full name, Stephen, with the V as in Victor, Furdock, F-U-R-D-O-C-K, at rocketmortgage.com. I am somebody that keeps non-banking hours, so at any point, I, uh, I will do anything generally to help out any client that needs a little bit of advice when it comes to their financing. That's excellent, and it just resonates with what we do, too, because a lot of times doctors are so busy, they don't have the traditional hours to go after things like this. and. Anytime you can provide them those concierge services on their time when they can be seen, super. And that's one of the reasons why we, we love having you on this show today. Thank you so much for doing this with us today. Until our next podcast, we'll come back with some good information too. But Steve Furdock, thank you so much. Rocket Mortgage, he knows what he's talking about. And I appreciate you sharing this. I'm sure there's going to be physicians out there that are going to just take this and run with it for maybe even deeper conversations with you. So I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Kevin. All right. Thank you. That's our podcast for today. And remember, if you're not working on your personal wealth, who is? Please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues and make sure you subscribe, like, and share. Any questions about what you heard today, please send an email to kdsullivan at lpl.com. Physician Wealth Meds, wealth medicine for doctors.